You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjacks.com. Well, it is great to have the opportunity to be able to share with you this morning. And, um, you know, it's been a while. We had our fourth, and it's been a little crazy. And as I was thinking about what, what to share and what God is doing at River City Church, um, I thought about the gospel. I thought about the gospel. And... And I was trying to think of an analogy of the meaning of the word gospel, right? Because gospel was good news. It was this announcement that uh, was an announcement of victory. And so I was trying to think, like, what would be a modern day announcement that somebody would walk through those doors and they would make some type of announcement? They say, hey, everybody. And they would announce something and universally we would respond in cheers. We would respond in joy that it would elicit a joyous response. I was trying to think, like, what would be a modern analogy for that? And so imagine, I haven't been able to come up with a real one, so imagine, imagine that you like soccer. It's hard, it's hard. But imagine, imagine that you like soccer. I know you can do it because you, you, you faked it this week just so you could get out of work, right? I know that you did. Oh yeah, I really wanna watch the game. No, you don't. It could end in zero, zero. It's the most boring thing ever. But you imagine, imagine, ima- boo, boo, you're so full of, oh, the rest of the world loves soccer. The rest of the world is bored, okay? We have cable. So anyways, imagine, imagine that you love soccer and the U.S. is playing, but for some reason we're meeting in here while they're playing. Imagine we're in here and then somebody comes in and they announce, they did it. The U.S. just won. They beat whoever we were playing. Imagine that that... I don't know. Imagine that that announcement, that we would respond if we cared, if we really cared about soccer, we would, we would respond with joy, right? This is kind of what the word means. And, and okay, if that, if that analogy doesn't work, what about this one? What about this one? What if it was 1945, right? David brought a history lesson when he did his. Is 1945 the end of the war? Okay, good. That's the only, that's the only history you're gonna get from me. So it's imagine it's the end of the war. Imagine the end of World War II, I don't know what it was like. Ed New can tell us. I don't know what it was like (laughs) when that announcement was made, right? Imagine, imagine you have known this war for so long and then the announcement comes. The war is over. Victory, victory has come. No more. Tomorrow will be an entirely different day as a result of this great news which I'm sharing with you, this event that has happened that will change everything. That's the word. That, now we begin to grasp the meaning of the word gospel. When we read gospel in the Bible, that's what the word means. It's this announcement of great joy, something that would elicit a response like that. So what is that good news? What is that good news? Let's let's remember this morning why we're here, because we're only here because of the gospel. We only do the things that we do because of the gospel. So what is it? Christ has given us victory over death. Christ has given us victory over death. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that we could be in relationship with him. God so loved the world that he entered history and made a way for us to be reconciled with him in spite of ourselves. No matter, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're going to do, 
It doesn't matter anymore because what matters is what Jesus did. That, that's the gospel. We no longer relate to God based on the things that we've done, but we relate to God based on what Jesus has done. That's good news. That's good news, especially for those of us who are, we believe that we have sinned. We believe that we, we are flawed, that we have issues. If we're honest with ourselves, then the gospel means even more good news for us. It no longer matters what we've done. It no, matter, it no longer matters what, what we will do. It matters what Jesus has done. This is the gospel. The gospel is good news. And this is an important point. The gospel is true whether you believe it or not. It's an event. It's a thing that happened. It's not subjective. The gospel is not that God loves you. That is, that is an, a result of the gospel, But the gospel is an actual thing that happened, whether you know it, whether you believe it. I was thinking about the little Japanese guy that didn't know the war was over, right? I don't know if it's true. It was in Gilgan's Island. But you imagine this guy, and he doesn't know the war's over. He's still trying to fight the war. It doesn't change the fact that the war's over. The gospel is that type of an announcement. It's that type of a declaration. The news is true. It's happened for once, for all, for, for eternity. Christ has done this thing. A moment in history has occurred that we will reap the benefits for the rest of our lives and for eternity. This message is the gospel, and it should penetrate us. It should change us. It's deceptively simple, really, it's deceptively simple that we can say that Jesus died and he died for our sins and he, he now gives us life. But the implications are profound. That the God of the universe entered history and acted on our behalf to reconcile relationship with us. When I talk to non-believers, you know, and we're talking about, well, what about suffering and what about that? Every once in a while, you'll say, well, what if it's true? Put everything aside for a minute. What if it's true? What if the God of the universe actually cares so deeply about you that he would do this thing, that he would act on your behalf to reconcile with you? What if it's true that God loves you that much? What if there is a God and he feels that way about you? That changes everything. For us as Christians, what if we actually believe what we say? What if we actually believe this gospel truth about Jesus? It should change everything, change everything about us. I remember I I became a Christian late in life. And so I remember when I finally understood. And I remember sitting there thinking, this changes everything. If this is true, then what I've thought for, for what I want to do with my life and what I thought was important and how I see myself and how I see people around me, everything changes as a result of this truth, as, as a result of the gospel. It should penetrate everything. The way that we treat our spouse, the way that we treat our boss, the way that we treat our employees, our friends, our enemies. Knowing that the work of Jesus, that he has done this thing, not just for me, but for them. And not because I deserved it, not because they deserved it. He made a way where there was no way. How we deal with success, how we deal with failure, how we deal with sickness, how we deal with conflict, everything is changed by the fact that we are children of God. 
that his desire for us is so great that he would do this thing, knowing the extent of the Father's love. Whether it's the way we treat others, whether it's the way we respond to circumstances, the words that we use, the way we spend our time, our talent, our treasure, everything, the Christian life is applying the gospel to everything. The Christian life is applying that event, the truth of that event, to everything that we do. That's the gospel. That's church. That is the Christian life. That is everything that we're about. Let's pray for a second and just ask for that truth to renew us this morning. God, I pray that you would send your spirit now, that he would remind us of this truth, that he would remind us of your good news, the way that you have shown up in our lives and the things that you have done. I pray right now that you would establish in our hearts what is true and that this morning you would help us to be changed. Lord, help us to be changed this morning, to be made whole, to live up to what we've already attained in Christ. Amen. Let's take a look at the way that Jesus' ministry is described. So this is in Mark chapter 1, 14 and 15. So Mark is describing the ministry of Jesus, and he says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. There's that word, proclaiming the good news of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus was proclaiming the good news of God, the origins of the good news, the thing that we are, that we are spreading is from God, that the kingdom of God is at hand, that the rulership and that the reign of God is available in a way it's never been before. There is something happening and it's right here. It's at hand. The time is fulfilled. Repent and believe in the gospel. Matthew says it this way. He sums up the message of Jesus. He says, from that time, when Jesus began his ministry, he says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I kind of tricked you a little bit, right? Because what I want to preach about, it's not really just the gospel. It's that message of Jesus that repent, repent because of the gospel, repent because we believe in the gospel, repent because the kingdom of God is near. I was telling somebody earlier, she said, what what are you preaching on? And I said, repentance. And you could be like, hmm, hmm, I invited somebody today. Darn it. You could just see, right? Why? Why does it have this, this effect on us, this word? Repent. It's a change of mind. Repent is a change of mind. This is the way it, it's, it's described. A decision, a choice, a determination of the heart, a deliberate exercise of the will in which one determines to act differently in the future than he has in the past. That's what the word means. When people heard the word repent, when we hear the word repent, this is what it should bring up is change, be changed, make a choice, make a decision, do something different as a result of some truth. Repent and believe in the gospel. There is this relationship between the gospel and repentance that they always would be proclaimed together. 
that it was proclaimed together the good news of what God has done in our response of repentance. Paul says in Romans this way, he says, it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Because of the great grace of God, we repent, we change, we change as a result of it. God's kindness leads us to be different, leads us to change. The gospel, to be clear, the gospel is not something that we do, but something that has been done for us. It's something that's been done for us in time, and it demands a response. That thing that has been done for us is so powerful that it, it, it elicits a response. That response is repentance to be changed. The gospel isn't something we do, but something we receive. Repentance is how we receive it into every area of our lives. Our faith in the gospel leads us to repentance. And that's why Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. So why is it that we have these misconceptions about the word? Why do we hate the word? Like you don't really, that's not, it's Jesus's message, right? Mark describes his whole message as repent for the kingdom of God is near. Repent, believe the gospel. But we don't really preach repentance that much. We don't like that word. We might say change, but why is that? Well, I think it's because the word, it it has a religious feel about it. Repent. Immediately, when we hear it, we think about guilt. Repent. Beating ourselves up. Trying to keep God happy so that he'll bless us or answer our prayers, right? When we think about repentance, oh, it's, you know, trying to put on a sour enough face to convince God that we're sorry, right? That maybe, maybe if I look sorry enough that he'll forgive me attempting to earn God's favor by vowing to do the right thing next time. I know I screwed it up, but next time I promise, God, if you'll just forgive me. But the gospel is that you've already been forgiven. The gospel is it doesn't matter what you do. God no longer relates to you the way the, the, on the things that you do. There will be consequences for the actions that you do, but they're not going to be consequences from him. Those consequences have been dealt with once, for all, forever, in Jesus. The gospel The gospel is true all the time, that we have been reconciled with God and empowered by the Spirit because of the work of Jesus, period. That is the truth that we want to rely on. So true repentance, what does true repentance look like? How do we as believers apply this concept of of repentance? What does true repentance look like? There is a conviction of truth, another great religious word. Tom, you're preaching on conviction and repentance. Well, conviction, it just means believing something is true, really, really true, right? Conviction is just believing to the core of who I am. I believe that this thing is true. That is conviction. Conviction. Repentance is conviction of truth. It's conviction that something about us, something about our attitude of the heart, something about something that we've done, something about us is not in line with the nature of Christ. It's not in line with our own ideal. For the believer, that's Christ. What's interesting is even atheists have this issue because everyone has some ideal that they try to live up to, right? Everyone has some ideal that they try to live up to and they don't do it. That's sin, Sin is not living up to that perfection, that that ideal that you have. 
The difference for the believer is we don't beat ourselves up about it because we accept that truth and we know the gospel of what God has done for us. True repentance is conviction that something about us does not line up with the nature of Christ. We could be convicted about anything. It's not just smoking, drinking, cussing. And not if you do any of those things, I'm not trying to deal with you right now. I'm just saying it's not just those things, right? You can smoke all you want. You'll just get to heaven quicker. But, but it could be anything in our life that doesn't reflect the truth, the life to the full Holy Spirit empowered person that we are. That's, that's what we want to live up to. That's the life that we want to live. Anything outside of that we could be convicted of. True repentance includes some level of, of grief or sorrow. Paul in 2 Corinthians kind of uses those words, but it also includes joy. True repentance, there is joy because of the gospel. When we really connect with the depth of something that's wrong in us, when we really connect with the depth of something that we've done, the gospel is right there to say, don't you love Jesus even more? Don't you believe the gospel even more? That he loves you in spite of that thing. He knew. He wasn't like, whoa, shocker, Tom just did this thing. He's loved you in spite of it. He's known it. Christ has dealt with it for once and for all. Oh, how he loves us. That's the response of repentance, true joy. The purpose of repentance. Tim Keller says it this way. He says, the purpose of repentance is to repeatedly tap into the joy of our union with Christ to weaken our impulse to do anything contrary to God's heart. It's continually, repeatedly tapping in to the good news of what Jesus has done, our union, the reconciled relationship that we have with him so that our hearts are changed and we no longer want to do the things that are not in line with the person we've been created to be. Paul says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. It's this idea that godly grief will bring us salvation, not just a saving salvation that will be with the Lord forever, but a salvation in everything, that there will be a wholeness to who we are, that we will be saved not just in the future, but we, we will be saved now, that we will experience God's salvation in the moment. The gospel can be summed up in two powerful statements that I am more sinful and flawed than I ever dared believe. And this is, this is hard, but this is sin. It's the concept of sin. It's the concept of repentance that I am more sinful than I ever knew. Again, when I first became a Christian, I thought I was a good guy, right? But I didn't really have a standard. So then I became a Christian. I started reading and I was like, oh, wow. I've got issues, right? But don't worry, they've all been dealt with. So the gospel comes in these two truths that I am more sinful and flawed than I ever dared believe, but I am more accepted and loved than I ever dared hope. That is the gospel. Remember, the gospel is that there was this event that happened that Jesus did this thing. What did he do? He saved us from what? The implication is there was something to save us from. The consequences 
of those flaws, the consequences of our sin. We know that Jesus suffered for our sin. We don't have to make ourselves suffer. God will not forgive us more. He has forgiven us in Christ. We may simply receive the forgiveness that he's already given us. In religion, we try to earn it. But in the gospel, we simply receive it. So why repent at all? This is the lazy side of me, right? Well, well, why? Well, if God's already forgiven me and it doesn't really matter, why bother repenting at all? Well, because we want to experience more. We want to experience more of the gospel in our lives. We want to be changed. Why? So that we can experience more of the life the way that it was intended to be lived. I want want to get the most out of life. And if that means repenting, I want to repent. I want to do whatever whatever it means to be able to get the most out of it. I want life to the full now. I want change now. I want to experience the fruits of the gospel. That's why we repent. It leads us to that place of the fullness of God being revealed in us, the reconciled relationship. Here's a hard truth. You can have forgiveness without repentance. And you can have repentance without forgiveness. But you can't have reconciliation without forgiveness and repentance. Let me say that again. You you can have forgiveness without repentance. Look, I can forgive somebody. They don't have to repent. Somebody can repent. They can feel horrible about it and not receive forgiveness. Either of those situations can happen. But the only way for reconciliation, true reconciliation to happen is for there to be forgiveness and repentance. That's that's true in our relationships, but it's true in our relationship with God. God's already given us the forgiveness. That's the gospel. What's left for reconciliation? Repentance. Receiving that forgiveness. Believing that forgiveness. Let me give you an example. My daughter, Grace, is a strong-willed little girl. And she will occasionally do something that could be construed as mean. She may, she may hurt me physically. She may hurt me emotionally. She may do something that is intended to hurt me. And then I have the job as her father to help shepherd her little selfish heart <laughs> into, you know, a mature person. And so you have the opportunity and so this is what happens is, you, you just did this thing. You need to say you're sorry. Will she do it? Absolutely. Does she mean it? Absolutely not. There is no conviction. You're like, well, say you're sorry. She'll be, I'm sorry. We've all heard that, right? Some kid that just says, I'm sorry. But she doesn't believe it. She's not convicted that what she's saying is true. She's not really sorry. There is no repentance. Her pride won't let her do it, right? So she'll say things like, well, yeah, I did that, but so-and-so did this. It's her trying to make excuses, not trying to deal with it. And so occasionally you'll have those moments where you'll be able to sit down with her on the bed. You'll be able to walk her through how, this is my new thing. Well, how do you think that made me feel? Or, okay, when you smack your brother in the head, how do you think that made him feel? This is my new line of thinking of how I'm going to do this with them. So how, does it make, how do you think it made me feel when you did that thing to me? And try and get her to the place. And what will happen is you'll have these moments. It's crazy. 
Well, all of a sudden, you'll have breakthrough. And her little lip starts to quiver. And then she just melts. Like, Grace is, oh, boom. She just, she just melts. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And then at that moment, at that moment, I get to say, I love you. I forgive you. I'm not mad at you. I love you. She gets to experience the fruit of a reconciled relationship with her father. Does that make sense? If I just told her, oh, honey, I forgive you, does that really help the depth of relationship? Does that help her experience reconciliation? No. Does that lead her to change? Change we can believe in? No. No. Nobody laughed at that. I understand. Change. Change. It's not going to lead her to that place of change if she doesn't experience the fullness of reconciliation that comes from repentance and the forgiveness that comes with it. That's what it's like with Christ. That's what it's like in the relationship with our Father. Why do we repent? So that we can experience the fullness of reconciliation. With Grace, she's one totally different girl than my other girl, Rin. Rin, the way that she approaches it, when she does something wrong, she feels horrible. She feels absolutely, she, is so, she will beat herself up over whatever she's done. So, for example, this one time, she got her card flipped. If you don't know what a card flip is, I didn't know what a card flip was. When these kids go to school, they have a card, a virtual card somewhere. I don't know. They flip the card, and it means you're almost in trouble. That's literally what it means. So, so she has her card flipped for the first time, and maybe the only time, and she is just devastated. And, but she doesn't want to say anything to me. So I come home from work, and Kit's already told me, and I know this thing has happened, and whatever. But she hasn't said anything to me, and she's just she's feeling horrible. She's feeling horrible. She's feeling horrible. Finally, when she's, she's about to go to sleep, you know, I didn't say anything. Finally, she breaks down. I got my card flipped. <laughs> the guilt was killing her. Totally unlike Grace, who's oblivious to the fact that she's, you know, done something entirely mean to me. She's, Rin is so different. But for her, she has a hard time with repentance because the guilt was killing her. And she didn't know how I was going to respond. She didn't believe that I've already forgiven her. It's a card flip. (laughs) She didn't believe my forgiveness. She didn't believe my love. And she didn't get to experience it until... She reached that moment of repentance. Now I can say, I love you. I forgive you. She gets to experience the fruit of that reconciled relationship. Tommy hasn't repented of anything yet. (laughs) But he's been very vocal about things that we should repent of. So so some of us fall into that camp. We're We're like grace. And it's our pride. For me, it's my pride. That makes it so hard for me to repent. It's so hard to see your flaws when you're awesome. I mean, when you rarely, I mean, I thought I did something wrong once, but, well, you know. So for those of us that, you know, we deal with these issues, it's hard with, with, with a prideful person. And I found that the older I get, the harder it is. The older that we get, we begin to believe the lie that everyone else is crazy and we're the only one that's sane, Right? 
And it gets harder and harder to change. It gets harder and harder to recognize your own flaws and to repent. This is, I mean, this is true for me. Charles Martin spoke on this repentance a couple months ago, and it's been just playing in my head, just thinking through, like, what is it in my life? And he asked, this is the question that he asked. He said, what is something that you're repenting of? And I was like, I got nothing. Because I'm awesome. Or... You're missing it. <laughs> you're either the second perfect person ever to live, or you are missing out on some area of your life that you should be repentant, that you should be accepting change. So some of us, we fall into that camp, but some of us fall into the camp like Rin, where we struggle because we beat ourselves up. I already feel guilty enough. Now there's more, you're telling me? So we beat ourselves up, and some of us were misled about the gospel, and we don't really believe the truth that God loves us no matter what. That God has already seen, and, and is, he's, he's there, he's willing to reconcile, he's willing to forgive, but we don't believe it enough. You don't know what I've done. If he only knew, this, will, this would be the straw that broke the camel's back. I would be the first person that God would be like, no, 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 that's too much, that's too much. Jesus didn't do enough for you. We believe that lie, and so guilt makes it so that we don't want to repent. But repentance should lead us to the greater joy in the gospel, the renewed power for change. In both of those cases, whether it's pride, and I believe that I don't, I don't believe the gospel enough because I don't believe that I need to be saved. You see that? I, it's... it's it, in both those situations, the reason you're not repenting is you don't believe the gospel enough. Jesus says, repent, believe in the gospel. But we don't believe in the gospel enough because I don't, need the, I don't think I need to be saved. Or maybe I don't believe the gospel because I don't believe that he's done it all for me. Surely there's a catch. Surely there's more to it. In either of those cases, it holds us back from this call to continually repent continually repent so that we can experience more of the gospel in our lives. It is the pattern in the life of a disciple of Jesus. This is important. In the life of a disciple of Jesus, there should be a pattern of repentance, of recognizing some area of our life. So much so that Jesus says, look, I'm going to send you a helper. You can't do it on your own. So he sends his Holy Spirit, and his Holy Spirit empowers us by convicting us. Again, that word just means teaching us something that is true. He convicts us about sin. He convicts us about those areas of our life that God is working in, that God wants us to change so that we can experience more of him. The Holy Spirit does that in us. He convicts us of our sin. And then he ministers the gospel to us. Right from inside of ourselves, we have this, this power that lives in us. This is the pattern in the life of the disciple of Jesus. Paul describes it as being strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit so that we may be filled with all the fullness of God so that through every, everything, just like we said at the beginning, every area of our life would be affected and transformed by this truth. So, today, God is calling us into a greater belief in the gospel into a greater belief in the gospel so that we will change, so that we will repent of the things that are different, to believe that out of his great love that he's delivered us from ourselves, 
and that we can change as a result of that. Now, this is what's amazing about God. The desire to repent comes from God. The ability to repent comes from God. The power, the strength comes from God. Some of us, the desire for the desire to repent comes from God. It all comes from him. All we do is cooperate. All we do is work alongside of what God is doing. So let's stand right now in light of that. And let's ask him to come. God, we are so thankful for what you have done to save us. We are so thankful for Jesus um, that we have come to know that truth in our life and we pray that you would change everything, that you would change everything. And right now, I pray that your spirit would come and that he would convict us of truth, that he would convict us of the things that you want to change and minister to, that we would know the reconciliation that you offer us in the gospel. Come, Lord.